<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is day 25 of the Trump shutdown and no end in sight because uh, baby Donnie is still throwing a temper tantrum. Hey, everybody. Here we go. What do you say on a Tuesday? Tuesday, middle of January, January 15. Great to see you today. Lots and lots to talk about here on the Bill Press show as we come to you live coast to coast. North, south, east, west, we got it covered. Anywhere you are in this great land of ours, we're right there alongside of you. With the headlines of the day, the big stories of the day, uh, our analysis of what's going on from a progressive point of view, of course, and our great guests and your comments. All of that makes up for the next two hours a very, very busy time skimming these stories, the big headlines of the day. Uh, together and looking forward to hearing from you and your comments on the news of the day on Twitter uh, at BP Show. Uh, yes, indeed, uh, big stories. Pardon me, we're following President uh, Trump saying no uh, after threatening it for days. Now nah, I'm not going to do an emergency declaration. Why? Because he's finally been convinced that he cannot constitutionally do so. The president forced to actually stand in front of reporters and say the incredible words. I never worked for Russia. Uh, and uh, Los Angeles teachers out on strike, 25,000 of them, uh, some 500,000 students impacted. Uh, and that strike, they say, will go on as long as necessary. So much to talk about, so little time. So we'll get right to it and get your comments on Twitter, please. Let us hear from you at BP Show, at BP Show. But first. This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. Bill, we got a problem in Washington Uh-oh. State. Uh-oh. We, we got, got a, a real problem, problem in Washington <laughs> State. Because. Oh, Washington State. Washington State, not Washington, D.C. Well, we got problems here, too. <clears throat> oh, yeah, we got a couple, got a couple <laughs> yeah, problems a few, here as well. Right. Well, here's the problem. Uh, all along Highway 195, 
Uh, they have mile markers, of course. Uh-huh. And there are two mile markers in particular that they have a real problem with up there that keep getting stolen. Mile marker number 69. Oh, yes. And mile marker number 420. 420. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Washington State has a solution. I actually love this solution. I think this is great. Instead of having mile markers, they just have a mile marker that says 68.9 and 419.9. That's cool. Yeah. very clever. People aren't stealing them anymore, as you can imagine. Everybody wanted to get the the 69-mile marker and the 420-mile marker, and this is their solution. They just took them away because we just can't have nice things. Um, There is a great little town uh, on the west coast of Marin County, just south of Inverness, called Bolinas. Very famous. Okay. and uh, B- Bolinas has, is a little hippie enclave that doesn't like visitors. And for years, they would put up the signs of Bolinas, and the signs of Bolinas were always cut down, knocked down, stolen. They wanted nobody to they come. They wanted nobody. Finally, the state agreed. There are no signs to Bolinas. <laughs> That's amazing. They just, they just decide, all right, screw it. That's great. Yeah. I love it. The people yeah. got what they want. I so. love it. Uh, speaking of 420, uh, I like marijuana. You like marijuana. We're big fans here on the show. Well, there's a new study that actually took a look at how marijuana affects the brains of teenagers. And look, while we are both marijuana enthusiasts, I think it's important that you wait until your brain is finished developing before you start smoking pot. Yeah, we do not encourage teenagers to smoke, period. As a... Cigarettes or pot. Exactly. Yes, exactly. As a matter of fact, this study says that just one joint... Just smoking one joint is enough to com- to uh, alter your brain activity if you're a 14, 15, 16-year-old kid. Mm, so just good. stay away yeah. from it until yeah. you're old enough to use it. All right, just kids, like no pot. Leave it to us. Exactly. Right. Yeah, we'll keep it safe until you're ready. Our brains are fried already. That's right. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed. Steve Republicans strip committee assignments away from Iowa's Steve King, the white supremacist Steve King. What the hell took them so long? He's been saying that stuff for years and years, and they have coddled him. Uh, and by the way, if they strip the committee assignments away from Steve King, what about... The racist in the White House, Donald Trump. Hello, everybody. The white supremacist, the nationalist in the White House, as he calls himself. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., joining you all across this great country of ours. Every little nook and cranny, we are there with you online, on the radio, and on television, bringing you the news of the day, our commentary, uh, the comments of our great guests and your comments as well on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks. And uh, how about it? Chicago. Hello, hello, hello on WCPT. Free Speech TV is where you can find us on television if you're part of a direct TV. Uh, and uh, the, the the big satellite network there. So, so much going on. Where do we start today? Let's start with the shutdown. Yes, indeed, no end in sight. 
Congress back in town, came in last night. President still at the White House, but there is a huge gap in between the two for a couple of reasons, two main reasons. One is because a Donald Trump is just getting his rocks off and shutting down the government. By the way, let, let, it's very clear, isn't it? Donald Trump does not want the government to reopen. He loves the shutdown because it makes him the center of attention. He won't talk about anything else. There is nothing else on his calendar. He went down to talk to farmers yesterday in uh, New Orleans. By the way, it's a good thing the pilot of Air Force One knew where they were going. Seriously. Yeah, because Donald Trump, of course, before he left, said, can't wait to get to Nashville. I love Nashville. I love Tennessee. I'm coming down to see you, Tennessee. Uh, no, the farmers were in New Orleans, and that's where he was actually headed. Uh, but anyway, he, he, he went down there to talk to the farmers. He didn't talk about farm policy. He can't because the USDA is shut down. He talked about shutdown, shutdown. He, for him, th- you got to remember this. For him, this accomplishes one of his goals, which is to shrink the size of government, basically to shut the government down. So he doesn't want to reopen the government. You got him saying, unless I get all the money for my wall that I demand, every single penny that I demand, the $5.7 billion, he won't even lift a finger to reopen the government, even though more and more Republicans have urged him to do so while the negotiations over border security continue. So that's one big reason. And of course, the other big reason is Mitch McConnell, who has crawled into his turtle shell uh, and said, I'm not going to stick my head out of my turtle shell until Donald Trump says it's okay, meaning I will not allow a vote, I will not allow any debate, I will now not allow any consideration of uh, the same bill that we passed in December to reopen the government uh, without funding for the wall. I will not allow any vote on that now. And now, change my mind, until Donald Trump tells me it's okay. Uh, and so it was Mitch yesterday now, uh, his new tack. Right. No longer. uh, Everything we heard from him before the first of the year was shutdowns are bad. We don't want to shut down. We, this Mr. McConnell, we will not let a shutdown happen. And so he puts a bill uh, through the Senate unanimously, which puts up one point six billion for border security, no funding for the wall and sends that over to the House. Paul Ryan never brought it up for a vote, but that was Mitch McConnell in December. This is Mitch McConnell yesterday. Now we just blame Nancy Pelosi for the shutdown. She's decided it's better to prolong this partial shutdown than invest more than $1 in something that both parties agreed was a good idea until about five minutes ago. Uh, That's not true, Mitch. That's not true. The bill that you steered through the Senate, you know, it gets me that these people really think they can just lie. Of course, we know Donald Trump does. But Mitch McConnell thinks he can lie, too, and we don't remember what he said two weeks ago? Yeah. We don't have the tape? Yes, we do, Mitch. Come on. It's also amazing to me the little things that they grab onto, right? Because when he talks about she says she won't give more than $1, that's when a reporter asked her, will you give any money to Trump's wall? You won't give $1 to Trump's wall. And she says, you know what? I'll give him $1. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give him $1, which was right. a joke in a way of saying, like, no, I'm not going to give him any money right. for a stupid wall. And yeah. this is what Mitch McConnell grabbed onto. It's, yeah. Pathetic. Not, it's just, like, Pathetic. so far from the point. And so, yes, on the shutdown, uh, Donald Trump's got to go down there and uh, brag about how tough he is. And uh, so down in New Orleans, speaking to the Farm Bureau, uh, first of all, he says, 
you got to call the Democrats in Congress and tell them to come along with me. I'm asking all of our citizens to call your Democrat lawmakers. Democratic. And ask them to pass a bill that secures our border, protects our country, and now reopens our government. Because <laughs> as soon as they do that, we reopen our government. By the way, I got a little tangent here, I know. But that idea of, call, of not using the adjective democratic, I mean, that goes back 25 years to Rush Limbaugh, I think, is the one who started that. It's a cheap shot. It's wrong grammatically. It's just wrong, right? We say Republican. We don't say Republic. Call your Republic legislators. Call your Republican legislators. Call your Democratic legislators. Anytime for Donald Trump to continue, that just shows you know what an empty what the empty head he's got. And also, to me, if he uses that, Newt Gingrich does the same thing. They lose the argument right away. It's just a cheap political grammatically incorrect slur, they lose the argument right away. Okay, so just just want to point that out. And, of course, Donald Trump, who said, remember the famous Oval Office meeting to Chuck Schumer and to Nancy Pelosi, hey, don't worry, I want to do this, I will do this, I will never blame you for it, I will take ownership of it, it'll be my shutdown, it'll be the Trump shutdown. Well, that was yesterday... Uh, this is today, or at least this was yesterday in New Orleans. You get my drift? The government remains shut down for one reason and one reason only. Oh. The Democrats will not fund border security, our safety, our national security. Of course, we all know that's a lie. The Democrats will fund border security. They have funded border security. They just passed a bill. That puts another $1.6 bill, bill, billion out there for border security. They just won't fund your stupid GD wall, Mr. President. And that's the way it is. And then Donald Trump takes the pledge in front of the farmers. Never, ever, ever will I back down. When it comes to keeping the American people safe, I will never, ever back down. I didn't need this fight. This is a rough fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Border security never, ever, ever back down uh, as if, again, the wall is the answer. Uh, when indeed, as shown on the front page of the New York Times, illegal immigration today at the southern border is near a 50-year low. National emergency. Crisis at the border. Yeah. National emergency. Right. Does not exist. And more and more impacts of the... Uh, of the shutdown. Now, in addition, we mentioned yesterday, Miami and Houston have shut down certain lanes. In fact, a couple of terminals because uh, uh, so many TSA people have called in sick, not showing up for work. I don't blame them at all. I encourage them not to show up. Uh, now you can add a Dulles here in Washington, D.C. and Atlanta uh, having to shut down uh, lanes for TSA, which means the lines are getting longer and longer and longer. And we still keep waiting for more Republicans to stand up to Mitch McConnell and say, come on, Mitch, this is not helping us. You've got to let us vote on this, and we will vote to reopen the government and then allow talks over border security to continue. You know what I was thinking about this? So we have four, right? we got Tom Tillis, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins, and Cory Gardner. What happened to Mitch Mitt Romney? Wasn't he the one who wrote that op-ed just before Right? He was sworn in, critical of Donald Trump. He was the one that maybe we thought would 
stand up. Even Lindsey Graham, who kisses Donald Trump's ass and he, five times a day, right? Uh, he said we should reopen the government while we continue talks on uh, on border security, uh, and uh, dared say that. And Donald Trump immediately shot him down and said, "No, no, I reject Lindsey Graham's uh, argument." So that's that. In the meantime, Donald Trump is still dealing with the. <laughs> With those big stories we talked uh, so much about yesterday, the two bombshell stories on Russia, one from the New York Times uh, and one from the Washington Post, uh, the Washington Post reporting that uh, Donald Trump would not do anything uh, or tell anybody about his meetings with Vladimir Putin, uh, in fact, getting one interpreter to destroy his notes and just keeping whatever he and Putin talked about to himself. And from the New York Times, the bigger bombshell, that the FBI was so concerned about Donald Trump's actions uh, and praising Vladimir Putin and then firing James Comey and telling two Russian diplomats the next day that he did so because he wanted to get the Russian monkey off his back. The FBI is so concerned that they opened an investigation into whether or not Donald Trump was a Russian spy and actually a foreign agent. Uh, and then Saturday night, the night that story broke, he calls into Fox News and was asked directly, did you ever work for Russia? And he didn't deny it. He said, that was the most insulting thing I've ever heard. Yesterday, I guess, he finally, finally figured he had to make it very, very clear. You would never believe in your lifetime or mine that we would ever hear a president of the United States compelled to say this. I never worked for Russia. Not only did I never work for Russia, I think it's a disgrace that you even asked that question because it's a whole big fat hoax. Wait a minute. Yeah, we asked the question because you didn't deny it the night before and because the New York Times has laid out. In fact, I, I got to say, Peter, we, we, I'd love to fax this, uh, uh, send this out. There's a, a column by Max Boot, who, former conservative, now very critical of Donald Trump, uh, who is excellent. I heard him down at the Miami Book Fair and just roasted Donald Trump. He's written a column, 18 Reasons Why the FBI Might Think, Suspect, 18 Reasons for the FBI to Suspect that Donald Trump is a Russian agent. It is. It goes way back, like some 30-some years, with all the dealings, the, 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 the loans that Russia helped him get with Deutsche Bank, all the business deals he was doing. It, goes, it, it is excellent. Uh, there's good reason why the FBI suspected that not just Paul Manafort and George Papadopoulos and Carter Page and others were playing footsie with the Russians during the campaign, during the transition, during the administration, but Donald Trump himself. Yeah. I never worked for the Russians, he says. <laughs> right. But can, can I say one other thing about I, I, I meant to mention this under the uh, when we're talking about the shutdown that Donald Trump said again yesterday. And Peter, I know we have this clip about how many how many federal workers. Right. Uh, agree. Agree with him. Many of the people that aren't being paid right now are in total agreement with us. Okay, so can we invite 
any federal worker, if you uh, you got to be listening to the show. If you if you yeah, you're not working, right? Okay. Right. So if you're out there and you are not getting a paycheck, you're either on furlough or like the TSA and the traffic control, air traffic controllers and whatever. You're forced to work, but you're still either way not getting a paycheck. And you think this is good? You agree with Donald Trump? Please call us, email us, text us, send your note on, name on Twitter. I'd like to know the name of one federal employee of the 800,000. Reporters have asked repeatedly at the White House for the name of one. They've asked Donald Trump for the name of one. They've not been able to <laughs> supply it yet. Not one. So um, I'd like to know. I'd like to know who you are, right? Uh, and, and by the way, the so the um, shutdown hit the White House yesterday, too, in a in a certain way that the Donald Trump wanted to have a great big celebration welcoming the Clemson Tigers to the White House. We have the national champion team, as you know, mm -hmm. Clemson Tigers, and they had a fantastic game against Alabama. Yeah, and uh, we're, we're so we invite them to the White House. Uh, and uh, by the way, one particular member of the of the this was last night, last yesterday afternoon at the White House, late afternoon. One particular member of the team, Donald Trump, very fond of. Uh, I want to be the agent of that tall, handsome quarterback. Huh? <laughs> Six foot seven. They say great athlete, and he's accurate. That's nice. Great job. Hmm. And you're eighteen. Boy, that's some fun. You got a good future. <laughs> Jesus, God. that's so crazy. So embarrassing. <laughs> so, uh, and yet, that's the least embarrassing part of this story. It is, because <laughs> uh, you got the football team coming, right? These young, husky, hungry guys. Some big fellows on that team. Big fellows on that team, yes. But, you know, the White House staff, that the kitchen staff, they're on furlough. They're not essential staff. They're on furlough. So what are you going to feed this crowd? Well, Donald Trump's got the solution. Burger King, Wendy's, <laughs> and McDonald's. Oh, we have Big Macs. We have Quarter Pounders with cheese. We have everything that I like that you like. <laughs> and I know no matter what we did, there's nothing you can have that's better than that. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah. So they actually went out and filled up the table there. Yes, you've seen the pictures of it. Donald Trump in front of the spread with piles of Wendy's, Burger King's, McDonald's, and cups and cups of French fries. Cold, ice cold. They've been sitting there for over an hour for sure. Had to. There's nothing worse than cold fast food. Cold fast I mean, I think. Cold fast food. Cold French fries in particular are oh. one of the worst food crimes that could absolutely be committed. They're yeah. terrible. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. What's the shelf life of French fries? Five minutes? You know, maybe ten. I, I You know, I, there have uh, been a couple sorry, of times. I'm sorry. I just, yeah. You, I can tell you don't drive you through to get your food very often. I don't. But, uh, Nor do I. But I will say, I will say this. I will say this. There have been a couple of times uh, that, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's just an easy button in your life to get something for the kids to hit, you know, a Burger King or, a, or, or McDonald's, like if you're on a road trip. Uh, but to bring it home and no. eat it there, no. you've maybe got, maybe got a 10, 15-minute window. Maybe. But maybe. I'm not that 
uh, I'd never go to McDonald's or Wendy's or those guys. But I'm a fast I'm a fast food freak in the sense of fast Five Guys, Five Guys, and In and Out Burger. Love it. Which is technically but, neither one of them are technically fast food. Right, because they cook it. They to, cook it to order. To order, right. But when I go there, what I want is I go there, order it, eat it right away. <laughs> yes, I exactly. cannot imagine ordering it and then taking it home on the subway and eating it. Think right? about the way that they had the fries lined up. Oh. So they ordered, like, whatever, you know, a, a giant a pile of yeah. fries. Yeah. And then they portioned them into the yeah. little White House cups yeah. with the presidential seal on them with McDonald's fries. So you got them. Then they sat around. Then you took them out of their container and put them into another container and then put them on the table where they sat for probably gross. an hour. It it's was the grossest gross. possible meal I could think of. Now, why did we do this that Donald Trump uh, is talking to reporters? Why would we serve this food? I had a choice. Do we have no food for you because we have a shutdown? Or do we give you some little quick salads that the first lady will make along with, <laughs> along with the second lady? They'll make some salads. And I said, you guys aren't into salads. <laughs> By the way, they had McDonald's salads on the... Oh, as, as, as part of it? As part of the thing. And you yeah. have got to be very close to rock bottom to eat a McDonald's salad. I know. Yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> it's so... What a contrast from the great Michelle Obama. Eat hearty, eat healthy, right? That was our whole thing. Eat healthy, eat healthy. Uh, for kids particularly, young people particularly, and Donald Trump with Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King. Don't forget there was Domino's Pizza fries. there. Oh, and There was Domino's. also Domino's Pizza. Oh, yeah. There are multiple photos of Donald Trump in his giant trench coat <laughs> standing in front of this table filled with fast food wrappers and him with his arms outstretched. Oh, what a great spread we've given these these players. It's, I mean, it's insane. It's insane. Totally. Totally. Uh, that was the day of uh, Donald Trump yesterday. Oh, my God. And, like, look, we, you know, I, I don't eat fast food. You don't eat fast food. We, I think, yeah, it's just not a thing. Lots of people do, okay? And I'm not trying to be elitist about it, and I don't think you are either. But these guys were the national champions of college football. This is a big celebration. They came to the White House, and you would like to think, and by the way, they are kids. Yeah. Yeah. They are kids. Right. Right. They're college students. Uh, you would like to give them something a little healthier than just a bunch of junk food. Right. And again, he ignores the, the whole reason he had to go there is because <laughs> right. he shut down the government. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, there are some other items in the news, by the way. Got to mention a couple of things that uh, may not have heard. Otherwise, the New York Times, a stunning story this morning about how much money... <clears throat> Donald Trump spent in his gold-plated inauguration. Yes, indeed, $107 million they raised and blew for the Trump inauguration, January 2017, of course. Uh, that included um, $1.6 million, one, one and a half, I'm sorry, $1.5 million for the Trump International Hotel. Yeah, you know, that, that went right into Donald Trump's pocket, of course. Uh, at one event, $10,000 for makeup. Another event, $30,000 in per diem payments. Uh, they paid one woman $1.6 million to make a documentary, which um, never happened, never saw the light of day. All in all, again, $107 million, which is more than twice as much 
as either Barack Obama or George W. Bush spent at the inauguration. That is all private funds, by the way, raised for the inauguration, whichever uh, uh, administration does. But it just shows how, again, from the very beginning, uh, this was the money, money, money administration. And again, a lot of that going into Donald Trump's pocket. Um, the New York Times also reporting yesterday on a, um, no, I'm sorry, I think this was in Politico. Um, Donald Trump has named a, a, a nominated uh, a woman to replace Brett Kavanaugh on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Her name is Naomi Rao. Um, a, a attorney, a conservative attorney, which you would expect, uh, proposed uh, and put forward by the Federalist Society. Um, certain, a lot of questions raised about her competence for the bench and some of the statements that she has pay, said in the past. Um, she uh, describes she has described race as a hot money making issue. That's what race is all about, just people trying to make money over it. Um, she says the, the LGBTQ movement is nothing but a trendy, the argument for LGBT rights, nothing but a, she says, a trendy political movement. Um, she has, in her one of her opinions, said that welfare uh, is designed only for the indigent and the lazy uh, and probably her most controversial opinion, uh, Naomi Rowell has written that um, basically her opinion that women who campus on campus who drink and get raped, oh no, deserve it. Oh no, ask for it. She said, "Quote: I've been to a lot of fraternity parties on this campus. This is at Yale." It's always seemed self-evident to me that even if I drank a lot, I would still be responsible for my actions. A man who rapes a drunk girl should be prosecuted. At the same time, a good way to avoid a potential date rape is to stay reasonably sober. If she drinks to the point where she can no longer choose, well, getting to that point was part of her choice. Holy cow. Yeah, there she is, and she is Donald Trump's nominee to take Brett Kavanaugh's place, which, by the way, well, yeah, I'm I mean, not look, sure Brett Kavanaugh would disagree with that. Yeah, I was going to say, it, and I, it honestly makes some sense now. Right. Uh, we mentioned a little bit earlier, I think, uh, Steve King, uh, the uh, white nationalist, white supremacist from Iowa, who should have been booted out of the Congress a long time ago. Um, uh, last week he made a speech in Iowa where he said, so when did white supremacism become a dirty word? I'm paraphrasing here, but when did that become offensive, I think is the word that he used. Why should that be offensive? Oh, well, uh, God, after all these years, Republicans finally decided to do something about um, Steve King uh, and the House Committee, House Rules Committee yesterday, um, I think it was the House Caucus, whatever, yesterday, voted to strip Steve King of all of his, he had three, Committee assignments. So he's a member of Congress. He no longer serves on any committees. But he's still a member of Congress. He still has a right to vote. They have not condemned him or rejected him or thrown him uh, out of Congress. Uh, the question really remains, why so long? It was uh, Mitt Romney yesterday who did speak out about Steve King saying, 
you know, he, he should just simply resign. Steve King's comments are, are, are his own and his exclusively, and, uh, and, and what he said was reprehensible and ought to lead to his uh, resignation from Congress. You know, what, what's particularly awkward about this is Steve King had a re-election just two months ago. Yeah, right. And these allegations, not, not these specific the way, allegations, but these allegations. re-election with the support of the Republican Party. Absolutely. There, I mean, just again, just like just over two months ago, there are any number of Republicans, name them, and they came out and supported Steve King. Right. Two months and ago. Two so, months ago. So um, what would the... so. Kevin McCarthy belatedly, right, has condemned him as well as other House Republicans and Mitt Mitt Romney. Uh, What about the president of the United States, the head of the Republican Party? What does he think about Steve King? Uh, He was asked yesterday as he was leaving for New Orleans, Mr. President, not Nashville, uh, his comments on Steve King. Who? Who? I don't. I haven't been following it. I really haven't been following. Oh, oh, curious. Yeah, he's following a Jeff Bezos's divorce, right? He knows all the yeah. details about all that. the details about that. Yeah, he knows all the details about the emails between Peter Strzok and Lisa Page or whatever her name was, right? Uh, uh, in yeah, he knows all of that stuff. Steve King, he never even heard about, right? Yeah. Well, Steve, who? Maybe he doesn't want any attention to Steve. Pay any attention to Steve King because Steve King is the echo of Donald Trump, or Donald Trump is the echo of Steve King, as Kirsten Powers pointed out yesterday on CNN. I think one of the questions that we should all be asking when we're talking about Steve King is really what's the difference between Mm -hmm. him and Donald Trump? Uh, There's not that much difference. Not that much difference. Amen. Hey, how about uh, we got so much more to talk about today here, so we're going to move right along. And very, very excited uh, next to welcome the director, executive director of the Delaware Riverkeeper Network, to talk environment, particularly maybe an amendment to the Bill of Rights, to the Constitution, adding environmental rights, uh, the right to a clean environment for every American. Maya K. Van Rossum joins us next here on The Bill Press Show. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. And on a Tuesday, January 15, good to have you with us today. The Bill Press Show live at Coast to Coast on the radio, online, and on television. Thanks so much for being with us. As we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, the great men and women of our firefighting departments. We see them on the job every day. They are on the front lines every day protecting American families uh, and never let us down. Under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger, check out their website at IAFF.org and uh, give a wave as they roll by uh, on their way to a call and uh, thank them for uh, the great efforts that they do on our behalf. Uh, And we have, um, you know, you hear even Donald Trump says, I believe in clean air, I believe in clean water. Well, of course, he doesn't do anything about it. Um, But what is the state of uh, the environment today and um, how much progress have we made? Are we falling behind? A uh, good, very, very important issue to talk about today with um, an attorney, author, and activist, executive director of the Delaware Riverkeeper Network, Maya K. Van Rossum, joining us in the studio. Maya, nice to see you. Great to meet you. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. And thanks for uh, for what you're doing. I want to hear a lot more about it. But first, I want to check in with Peter because we've been on the air for a little bit here, uh, stirring up dust as uh, we do. 
Yes, that's indeed. our job. Lots of comments on Twitter at BP Show at BP Show. I just thank you all for your comments. A lot of them are about the fast food spread that Donald oh, Trump yes, served yes. at the White House last night. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Amy Kelly. There are probably some leftovers, you know. I mean, I'm sure the fries sitting on that table uh, still. I'm sure. Well, let's let's just be clear. I saw a lot of tweets from the Clemson football players last night who absolutely loved the spread. They like they ate a ton of food last night. There was one guy who had like two Big Macs on his plate. Uh, anyway, all right. So Amy Kelly says. Um, uh, that comment about the first lady and second lady making the salads, what the hell was that all about? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good question. A lot of people have that sort is of a called him out on that because yeah. that is absolutely not their job to go in there and make salads. Well, for Donald Trump it is. Yeah, right. Keep yeah. him in the kitchen. Uh, Resistance, Resistance Stevie on Twitter says, anybody eating meat like Donald Trump spread last night should be careful. Remember, the Trump shutdown has furloughed <laughs> FDA inspectors yes. as yeah. well. And Phil says, the guy with the intelligence of an eight-year-old serves a spread fit for an eight-year-old's birthday party. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. We want to hear from you. Okay, thank you, Peter. About McDonald's, Wendy's, Burger King, and other topics as well. Okay. Uh, so, Maya, Delaware Riverkeeper Network. Um, I want you to know, I don't know whether you know, I grew up in a small town on the Delaware River. Oh, lovely. In south of Wilmington, south of Newcastle, a little town called Delaware City. I learned to swim in the Delaware River. I fished in the Delaware River. I mean... Uh, so I'm very curious. How's the Delaware River? How's my river doing? I moved to California, became a Californian, but how's my, you know, early well, river going? So the Delaware River is, is it beautiful. Healthy? It is yeah. beautiful from top to bottom, and in many respects, it is healthy. In fact, the upper um, reaches of the river, the upper two thirds, are are so healthy that they have reached the highest level of protection you can get under the law, anti degradation protection. Really? In our region, it's called special protection waters. But that being said, the Delaware River still faces a lot of challenges. We have new discharges and new threats all the time. I mean, there's a lot of industrial uh, uh, buildup on the the river, you know, from Marcus Hook. I mean, Delaware City, even with the big refinery and New Jersey as well. Uh, so discharges still into the river? Or is- yes, absolutely. We have we have discharges from, from the fossil fuel industry. We have discharges from pharmaceuticals. We have um, increasing development along the banks of the river, which subject new families to flooding and flood damages. Um, one of our big successes, though, to date, we have been successful with the Delaware Riverkeeper Network taking the lead. We have been successful in keeping the fracking industry out of the boundaries of the Delaware River watershed. There's actually a moratorium in place. And so mm. while other rivers that, that are also New, found in Pennsylvania. The, in all the states? So yeah. it's in Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey. And New York. And New York. So the four watershed states within the boundaries of the Delaware River, you cannot have drilling or fracking operations. So while rivers to the west in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania are really, and communities are being devastated by fracking, We've set a really important precedent in the Delaware River watershed, protecting our river, but also being able to make the case if the Delaware River shouldn't be fracked, so too should, you know, no river should be fracked. And Delaware, the Delaware River used to be a bounty for fishing, particularly, I don't know, shad and whatever else. Uh, 
has the fish population returned? So the fish populations, um, the the shad, as you mentioned, historically have been a very important part of of the river system. Um, they were. Uh, largely decimated when yeah. we had a 20-mile oxygen dead zone. They have recovered to a degree and at, at this point are, are holding steady, but at a very low level. And that's really with a lot of species. Um, they they Some of them are rebounding, but they're not rebounding to historic levels. And in fact, one very, very important iconic fish, the Atlantic sturgeon, um, where the mm. Delaware River has a genetically unique population of Atlantic sturgeon that only exists in the Delaware River, we have less than 300 spawning adults left of that iconic species. So, you know, there are still problems and there are threats that I have to battle almost every day, new threats almost every day to the Atlantic sturgeon of the Delaware River. So we still have problems that we are fighting. I didn't know there was an Atlantic sturgeon. Sturgeons are the biggest fish. Are, are the Atlantic sturgeons as big as the ones out west? I've, well, they can I've be. Seen them in the Columbia River Gore. I mean, they yeah. are huge like telephone poles they can be if they're given the opportunity to grow that size right right but with so few left right those opportunities are missed all the time so you're head of the Delaware Riverkeeper Network and also head of something called the Green Amendment Movement right which is to amend the Constitution or so the Green Amendment Movement um, which is the subject of of the book um, I should mention (laughs) it is called the Green Amendment um, by Maya K. Van Rossum, uh, and out yeah. when? So it came out November 2017. All right, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And the goal of the Green Amendment movement is to inspire um, communities in every single state across the nation to add an amendment to the Bill of Rights section of their state constitution that recognizes and protects as inalienable the right to clean water, clean air, and a healthy environment. And what that really means is that we recognize and protect our rights to clean water, clean air, and a healthy environment the same way we legally recognize and protect those other fundamental freedoms we hold dear, like the right to free speech and freedom of religion and our due process rights. Most people don't realize that in the United States of America, you, while you might believe in your, heart, in your heart you have a right to clean water, clean air, and a healthy environment, you actually do not because it's not written into our state or federal constitutions. So constitutionally, legally, it's not required, right? That's right. It's That's just like right. it's a sort of, a, to me, a parallel to the right to universal health care, which I wouldn't mind seeing a health care, uh, you know, the health care yeah. amendment as well. But the Green Amendment is so, so important so that um, without that, um, it must it, – well, if, if you had that right, it would be easier to fight some of these environmental battles. Exactly. Right? Because you would have a fundamental standing under the law uh, in state after state after state. Right. right. And our and our government officials would have to prioritize preventing harm, preventing um, pollution, preventing harm to our environment, right. rather than doing what they do now, which is manage it through the issuance of permits. You are an industrial operator or a developer. You apply for a permit. It gets reviewed. You get your permit. Pollution and degradation managed. But as but we do not, you know, see the highest level of protection given. And so as a result, we very literally have communities across the nation who are losing the quality of their health. They're losing their property values because of pollution and degradation. They're experiencing increasing flooding and flood damages and drought and the effects of an unstable climate because our 
current system of environmental protection is about managing pollution, not preventing it. Now, uh, so the focus, uh, I want to be clear, is this to get a green amendment to the U.S. Constitution or the state constitution? So the goal is to get um, green amendments added to every state constitution across the nation. And I believe that as we go through all the activism and effort to do that, people will come to a place where they realize, recognize, and are ready for securing a federal constitution. Well, first of all, I I think that's smart, it seems to me, because it's easier, I would imagine, to amend a state constitution than a federal constitution. Yes, it is. And that's one of the reasons why we start there, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Another reason is because this Congress doesn't do anything, right? They don't get anything done. They're incapable of getting anything done. So uh, not just on this area, but on almost any area, there's more being accomplished at the state level today or the city level than there is at the federal level, sadly. But so that's the place to start. Have any states stepped up? What kind of response are you getting? Yeah. So we actually um, have, first off, in existence, there are two states with a meaningful green amendment, like I talk about. Pennsylvania, Um, And that actually was given legal life only five short years ago as the result of litigation brought by the Delaware Riverkeeper Network teaming up with seven towns and a physician. So you were able to get that done starting in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. So the Green Amendment in Pennsylvania was actually passed in 1971. But then there was a real overreach in how people sought to use it. And very quickly, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court sort of put its, its, you know, stamp on top of it and said, look, good public policy, but doesn't have the same legal force and effect of all the other provisions in the Bill of Rights. And that's the way it sat for 42 years. You had great language on the books, but you didn't have a meaningful constitutional right to a healthy environment. We then in um, 2012 uh, used the Green Amendment to challenge a very pro-fracking piece of legislation in Pennsylvania. And we got an amazing decision out of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court that restored legal life Mm. to um, the Pennsylvania Constitutional Green Amendment and declared that it, like every other provision in the Bill of Rights section, is do that highest level of recognition and protection. So now we have it in Pennsylvania, and we've been working with it for the last five years in Pennsylvania, having tremendous progress. Um, and there's have also to be passed, if I can ask, sure. in Pennsylvania by the state legislature or by the by a referendum for the uh, yeah. the people of Pennsylvania. So in Pennsylvania, it had to be passed by um, both houses of the state legislature twice, and it actually passed unanimously in both houses. Really? Yeah. And then it went before the people of Pennsylvania and was passed by, Mm -hmm. right, four to one. Okay. So Pennsylvania, and what's the other state? The other state is Montana. And Montana Montana. similarly had one since the the 70s that has had had some powerful effect in the early years. Hasn't been used as much of late, but there is a, a desire to sort of revive it now that people are seeing, you know, the effect that we're having in Pennsylvania. Uh, other states about. So uh, how about in the Delaware watershed? You've got mm-hmm. Delaware, yeah, which has a pretty good environmental record. I mean, they've had some very strong environmental governors there um, mm-hmm. going back. I'm just trying to think of the, the 
Russell, Russell Peterson. Russell Peterson, right? Yeah. Who protected the entire California co- uh, Delaware coastline? Sorry. Amazing, amazing environmental leader and governor right. of Delaware. Delaware and New Jersey and Pens- and New York. Yeah. So, um, you know, pending or yeah. So in yes, in New York and New Jersey, we have since we started this Green Amendment movement, we actually have Green Amendments that have been proposed for those two state constitutions. And we've been working very hard to advance them. There's been proposals by the legislature. And in both cases, there has been passage at the committee level. Um, We have there are other states across the nation that I'm working with. uh, I'm working with communities um, Mm -hmm. where there's a lot of interest and they're trying to figure out how to advance it in their states. But one thing that, you know, people often say to me and as recently as last night through a, a couple of emails I received was saying, well, but we have this provision in our state constitution and they cite some provision that talks about the environment, um, sometimes in very stirring language. Um, but what and then they asked me, so why isn't this a green amendment? Well, those provisions that that are in literally dozens of states across the nation, they don't rise to the level of being a green amendment because they're not in the Bill of Rights section. They don't recognize the right to a healthy environment as an inalienable right, you know, on par with those other fundamental freedoms. Those other states talk about environmental protection as good public policy. Well, you don't have to listen to policy yeah. or that the state should pass laws to protect the environment. But that's the situation we have now and we still you know have communities across the nation suffering um, uh, people uh, listening watching who would like to get something stirred up in their state to, mm-hmm. toward this end uh, does the green amendment movement have its own website or is it Delaware Riverkeeper where do people go yeah people go to for the generations for the generations dot org They'll find materials. And what I really encourage people to do, feel free to get in touch with me and I will come to your community on my dime to talk with with your community group about how we can make this happen in the state. Because there are a lot of nuances and it's it's an easy idea, but there are some complexities. So I love to work with communities um, in a very hands on way. There's an offer you can't refuse. It's so t- they can get in touch with you through forthegenerations.org. That's correct. Right? Forthegenerations.org. Now, um, I don't know whether you've had a chance to take a look at it, but there is a lot of talk in Washington uh, about um, a Green New Deal, mm-hmm. uh, particularly uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez is about to introduce this Green New Deal, lining up a lot of sponsors, particularly among. Uh, freshman members of the House. Um, what's that all about? Is that so? Yeah, I think the Green New Deal is really powerful and important, and it recommends it recognizes the tremendous economic values of a healthy environment, and then provides a variety of ways to sort of secure environmental protection to get those economic benefits. And that's very powerful and important. It's a great um, it, it's a great initiative. When it comes to green amendments, of course, it doesn't displace the need ultimately right. no, no, for no, green no. amendments. No, but no, I'm I think not it's a, that, yeah, right. I think it's very powerful. And one of the exciting elements in there really is is the focus on the fossil fuel industry that's been given such a leg up under the Trump administration. Um, and so seeing that, you know, some focus on that in the Green New Deal, I thought was really heartening. But you know, I've been involved in environmental politics. That's how I got that's how I got started in politics in California. Uh, and the the constant, uh, I think, phony conflict has always been posed as it's the environment versus versus the economy, where I would imagine that um, you've cut right through that, meaning 
you can't have a healthy economy without a healthy environment. Right. You you just said it. That's exactly right. And in fact, when you have a healthy environment, not only do you have a healthy economy, but it's it's much more health, healthy than it would have been in a degraded state. Right. If you look at, for the for example, energy generation um, for every million dollars invested in clean energy versus dirty fossil fuels, you create five times the number of jobs and you create the energy you need and you cr- uh, protect property values and clean water and clean air, right? So you you literally have it all when you do it the right way um, with environmental protection. Right. So this conflict between, I mean, um, again, economy and environment, there are, I mean, green, green jobs are for real, right? Green yeah. jobs are for real, and they tend to be... Um, they are they are more available, they're more accessible, and they're more enduring, no matter whether you're talking about energy or development or, you know, in, in um, industrial operations. Green jobs are real, and they make big money and protect communities at the same time. Is climate change the greatest environmental threat today? Um, climate change is is amongst the greatest environmental threats. Um, you know, but if you're if you're the community in um, Paulsboro that's drinking uh, drinking drinking water contaminated with perfluorinated chemicals, a human uh, created chemical that has been very legally placed into the environment by industry and by the military. Well, then on a day to day basis, your biggest threat is your drinking water supply. So. Uh, on big scale, absolutely, climate change is huge, and the 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 release of the the methane and the carbon dioxide and the the um, impact of the industrial operations that are fueling climate change, they also have a huge environmental imp- um, impact when it comes to water and air and quality of life. So it's kind of a double whammy when you talk about climate change. Not only do you get climate instability and all the devastation that comes with it, but those polluting industrial operations that are fueling climate change are having a also v- huge local impact that is devastating, very literally devastating people's lives. And so lives. much of it comes back to the fossil fuel industry, doesn't it? It and does. Again, I think of the Delaware River, the fossil fuel industry up and down that river, right? And yeah. I mean, that's yeah. got to be the focus. That That is a huge focus. And with the advancement of fracking and this uh, f- false claim that fracking is somehow beneficial for energy generation is really um, magnifying the harms of the fossil fuel industry, both because of the release of methane that is so dangerous for climate change, but also because of the impacts on people's drinking water and their air and their property values and and the quality of their lives. Um, fracking is not a bridge fuel. Fracking is a path to devastation. Clean energy is available today, and that's what we that's what we should be pursuing. Fracking is allowed in Pennsylvania. So fracking is allowed, but outside of the watershed, you said that's the correct. Delaware River watershed. That's correct. And there are many what the industry call sweet spots in Pennsylvania. So fracking has really um, been booming in Pennsylvania under both Republic and Democratic leadership, right? That, unfortunately, fracking is a bipartisan devastation that we need to get control of. To what extent has uh, the Trump administration set us back in terms of protecting the environment? The Trump administration has been horrible. So when I wrote wrote the book, 
we already had a problem, right? Um, the problem has been tremendously magnified. If you look just big scale, I think there are something like 80 rules and regulations for environmental protection that the Trump administration has has targeted and been actively working to roll back. Things like um, the banning of chlorpyrifos, a dangerous pesticide, very devastating um, for human health, uh, for animals, and particularly for children. A lot of incentives um, or regulatory rollbacks that are fueling the fossil fuel industry. Appointments to agencies like the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that are yeah. very pro, you know, fossil fuel and really just um, paving the way for that industry to to take over communities and our economy. Now, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, that was a problem before mm-hmm. Donald Trump, but like so many other things, that's a problem that's been made worse um, as a result of Donald Trump, and we're hoping Congress will investigate them. Uh, you th- I think you can count on Congress, uh, the Democrats in Congress to investigate them, and the new guy at EPA is as bad as Scott Pruitt. He just doesn't make as much noise, uh, so we don't hear that much about him. Again, it's so, so important to get involved in this movement. ForTheGenerations.org is a website to check out Maya K. Van Rossum's work. This Thanks so much, Maya. Thank you for having Press me. Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of the Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is day 25 of the Trump shutdown and no end in sight. Donald Trump says he will never, ever back down. Baby Donnie throwing another temper tantrum yesterday. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Welcome uh, to The Bill Press Show on this Tuesday, January 15th. Great to have you with us, and um, we got lots and lots to talk about uh, to bring you up to date on the latest news of the day on every front, both here in Washington, D.C., around the country, and around the globe. We've got it covered. We'll tell you what's going on. You tell us what you think about it all. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. The big stories of the day, of course, again, the shutdown rolls on more and more um, uh, problems at uh, the nation's some of the nation's biggest airports as uh, more and more TSA workers decide it's just not worth coming in and putting up with all that grief and not getting paid for it. Uh, Donald Trump yesterday finally having to come forth and say words that we never thought we would hear any president ever have to say. No, I have never worked for the Russians. No, I am not a Russian spy. And L.A. teachers, 25,000 strong, hitting the streets yesterday. Uh, And meanwhile, what's going on with a couple of issues, big issues we haven't talked that much about lately, health care and poverty. Um, Well, 
that's what we want to talk to Rebecca Vallis about. She is vice president of the Poverty to Prosperity Program at the Great Center for American Progress, uh, joining us in the studio this morning. Rebecca, it's good to see you again. Good to see you, Bill. Thanks for having me Thank back. Thank you for coming in, and I think we can still say Happy New Year. It's not too late in the year to say that. I so. think it officially counts if you haven't seen the person. So I'll take Happy right. New Year, and I'll give it right back to you. All right. Thank you. <laughs> yes. And we got lots to talk about. Once again, want to hear from you. Your comments on Twitter at BP Show. But first... Peter, with this the big headlines the of the day. Oh, yes, indeed. All the big stories making news today. Okay, so the air traffic controllers here in this country are not currently working. Uh, or, excuse me, they are working, but they are not getting paid, yes. I should yes. say. They are not getting paid uh, because they are essential staff. Well, the Canadian air traffic controllers, in a show of solidarity, are sending hundreds of pizzas here to America no. to where the air traffic controllers are working so that they can have food. In fact, they have sent it to 36 different facilities here in America that the Canadian air traffic controllers, they went around, they took up a collection. Anybody wants to chip in to buy pizza for American air traffic controllers, you could do that. They did, and like I said, 36 different facilities have gotten pizzas. And that's not the end. They're going to keep doing this until the shutdown is over. Uh, I, it's really nice. Them, a little solidarity. It's also there. very sad, uh, but I, it's it's a very nice gesture. I think it would be nice if nicer if Donald Trump sent him on paycheck. Yes, that would also be very very nice. Uh, Bill, are you going anywhere exciting this year? Traveling anywhere exciting? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, if, I'm uh, not yes. sure if this factored in to your decision of where you were going. The Instagram factor. The Instagram factor is, in fact, a big deal for travel destinations, and some travel destinations are having to change how they operate because they are so picturesque, they are so lovely that people are flocking there just to take a picture of it and share on social media. So, for example, Machu Picchu had to put in a whole new uh, procedure in 2017. They were limiting tourists to start two timed entries each day, and that's it. They have to be aided by an approved guide. They're basically having to get to a point where they are telling people, don't come here as much because we can't handle it. People are flocking there. There are several other sites around the world that have this same problem. They are sort of having to adjust well, to the times. I know we don't, don't have much time, but I have experienced this. I experienced this over the holidays in the Point Reyes National Seashore. Okay, we live right yeah. alongside of it in Inverness, California. There is a cypress tree, like a tree tunnel. By the way, I've been there, passed there a thousand times. Never saw anybody stop there. I was out there this time, and there were 50 cars around. Yeah. Somebody put it up on Instagram, and now it has become the place. This is the Bill Press Show. Yes, indeed, it is the Bill Press Show, and Republicans finally said, we've had enough of this racist Steve King. They stripped his committee assignments away yesterday. My question is, why did it take them so long? This guy's been saying that stuff for years, and uh, they supported him for re-election over and over again as recently as last November. Shame on them. Good to see you today, folks. Thanks so much for joining us here. It is the Bill Press Show on a Tuesday, January 15, uh, with so much to talk about in the news of the day. Uh, that's our job. We'll bring you uh, all the everything that's happening 
much as we can here in Washington, around the country, and around the globe. Uh, you join us by telling us what you think about it all. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Joining us in studio from the Center for American Progress and their Poverty to Prosperity program, uh, Vice President Rebecca Vallis. Hi, Rebecca. Nice. Thanks again for coming in. Hey, Bill. And, and I, I feel like when I was sitting down, I was saying someday you'll have me on to talk about good news, but unfortunately not today. No. Is there good news Is out there? there at all? Anywhere? Well, I, I feel like, I mean, it, Peter, you're raising good questions, but <laughs> I, I mean, I'm getting energized and excited about this new Congress. I will be honest. The, the 116th yeah, yeah. Congress has a lot to get excited about. This uh, Democratic presidential primary field is starting to get exciting and, and deeper by the day. So there's definitely good news to talk about. But that's not why you asked me to come in, is it? <laughs> uh, no, but you're right. It would be nice if we could focus on that good news. And I feel good about that. Very, very good, like you do, about the 116th Congress. The energy there among these new members, the diversity, I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's so exciting. Uh, and I, a lot of people are lamenting the fact that they're so many Democrats out there looking at running in 2020. I think it's fun. Oh, it's I, only a good thing. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah. Before we get rolling here, I, I, I'm sorry to change this. Is this is the latest twit. I have to read his latest tweet. No, no, no. You know, I, I have saw to read it his and then I tweet. lost it. I was trying to find it again about the he's defending his fast food yes. for the Clemson Tigers. Yes. Oh, so yeah. we talked about this earlier. Yeah. He yeah. served a fast food buffet. Uh, last night for the Clemson Tigers, it was McDonald's, Burger King, Wendy's, Domino's, all of that. Uh, he tweeted yeah. just a moment ago, and he says, Great being with the national champion Clemson Tigers last night at the White House. Because of the shutdown, I served them massive amounts of fast food. I paid. Parentheses. I paid. I paid. Mm-hmm. Hang on. Over 1,000 hamburgers. H A M B E R D D E R S, etc. Within one hour, it was all gone. Great guys and big eaters. He spelled it hamburgers. He spelled it hamburgers. Yeah, but hasn't there been some kind of inquiry suggesting that when there are those kinds of misspellings in tweets, that it actually is likely that his staff did it intentionally to make it look more likely the, that he tweeted the, it himself? There is a conspiracy theory that, yes, that is the case. Because I find I'm that so sure. plausible. I really oh. do. <laughs> like, I just tried to type hamburgers in my phone. You can't do it. And it it wants to change it to hamburzerk. Ham betters, mm-hmm. but not hamburgers you and not like, hamburgers. You have to like override your own phone to yeah. make that bad a misspelling. Yeah, is the what phone you're is saying. like, no, what in what is going on? You have to really want it. What is going on? <laughs> oh my that god. That whole fast food debacle as you know, and, and again what's lost in this is he, he they had to do this because of the shutdown. That's right. Uh and, and that's that's the least Damage that we've seen that's being done by the shutdown. It's it really is hurting American families, but not just federal workers. You no, know, the ripple effect across the board. That's exactly right, Bill. And and you know, since you're mentioning the shutdown, and and since you know we're talking about some of the silliness with Trump's approach to it, <laughs> I mean, it, his callousness is not to be overstated. We've got members of Trump's administration basically making it sound like federal workers who are furloughed and going without paychecks right now are on vacation and they're lucky to be facing this kind of economic instability. We've got Trump telling federal workers, eh, maybe you should just 
just consult your personal attorney to figure out how not to get evicted, how to continue to pay your bills. Maybe you should call your creditors and plead with them to to just give you a little bit of extra time. That's not how life works. And if Trump were not so massively, woefully out of touch with the reality facing struggling workers and middle class workers, too, in this country, he would have a little bit of a better sense of how much tremendous hardship he is causing because of his extended tamper tantrum over this racist border wall. But Nancy Pelosi uh, uh, pointed out the difference with Donald Trump. He doesn't get it because he could always ask his daddy for another check. That's exactly right. Right. And he thinks everybody else is in the same boat and just hasn't even thought about what it might be like not to have uh, that kind of level of wealth in your family. I think there's another factor going on here for Donald Trump and some of the Republicans in Congress. This this is exactly they love the shutdown because it shuts the government down. I mean, that's that's been their the Tea Party or the Freedom Caucus's goal number one goal. It goes all the way back to the desire to shrink government so small that you can drown it in a bathtub. Well, one other way to do it is to shut it down. And, you know, Bill, we're talking about federal workers here, and they rightly have gotten a lot of the attention in terms of who's bearing the brunt of this shutdown. I should note, a lot of federal contractors are actually never going to get the back pay that at least a lot of federal workers who Mm -hmm. are facing a furlough are going to, to see when this is all over. So really, really lasting damage that a lot of folks are going to end up facing. And then you have the ripple effect of, um, I mean, something like I saw an article the other day, the Washington, D.C. Metro. Okay. They're some 50,000 rides short every day now because federal workers aren't coming to work, right? Think about the restaurants, the coffee shops, all not just in Washington, all across the country near these federal buildings that survive because of that population. They're gone. Huge economic ripple effects. And, and, you know, people are starting to actually pay attention. I've got an op-ed in Rewire today um, looking at this. People are starting to finally, finally notice the administration's response to this shutdown has been so chaotic and so unprepared that there are actually massive programs like the food stamp program that are literally running out of funds as we speak. So we could watch federal workers not just going without paychecks, but not even able to turn to food assistance if that program potentially ends up seeing massive cuts or even comes to a halt if it runs out of funds sometime in March. Yeah. I don't know why people are concerned. I mean, the Coast Guard put out a thing saying, well, you could have a bake sale <laughs> uh, or you could uh, dog do dog walking or uh, child care or, um, you know, you could even maybe become an Uber, dri- Uber driver. I mean, they actually put this out to... To employees that this it, is how you survive. It's it. just astounding. The callousness, the cluelessness, and, and, and just how willing Trump literally is to starve this country so that he can uh, play politics over his wall. Mm. Um, hey, he's not going to starve the country. He's going to feed him McDonald's and Burger <laughs> King and Wendy's and Domino's. Just the football players, Peter. Yeah, I think the right. rest of us are kind of screwed. The big guys with big appetites. Uh, <laughs> Rebecca, something that you and I have talked about before that a couple of years ago, seemed like a um it was put down and dismissed as a pipe dream and just promising pie in the sky medicare for all today almost everybody is talking about it gavin newsom just elected governor of california his platform medicare for all and gavin newsom is no crazy bernie lefty i don't think bernie's a crazy lefty by the way but i mean he's not you know that far left right Pretty centrist politician, left to center for sure. 
Medicare for all. And so many of the candidates running for talking about running in 2020, Medicare for all. What's happening? How real is it? So I think that what we've known for a long time is that the American people understand the importance of making health care not just affordable and accessible, but universal. And that's been a, a groundswell and a, a longstanding popular position among Americans. That's true across party lines, by the way. Um, it's not just true of, of progressives, um, because people understand that everyone should have the right to see a doctor. Everyone should be able to get medical care when they need it. Um, unfortunately, what we're starting to see uh, really become clearer by the day is that no matter how clear the American people make it, that they want to see more health care, not less. Remember the, the health care fight from, from just mm-hmm. last year and the year before you had Trump and, and Republicans in Congress trying to take health care away from tens of millions of Americans, despite what the American people were making very clear they wanted. What I think we're starting to see, unfortunately, and this is what we were teasing before about why you had me on to talk about some bad news, yeah. Bill, is that Despite how clear the American people have made what they want, whether that's through expanding programs like Medicare, whether that's through expanding programs like Medicaid, which we're continuing to watch every time it's on the ballot, pretty much it succeeds and people vote to expand uh, that very successful program to to expand access to health care for their fellow citizens and fellow neighbors in their states. What we're watching is the Trump administration basically deciding, you know what, I'm not done trying to get my horrible cruel, heartless health care cuts through Congress. I'm actually going to try and take matters into my own hands now that I failed legislatively in the health care debate from 2017. And we've been watching Trump, as your listeners will know all too well, sabotage the health care system at every single turn. And one particular target that has been front and center for this administration is Medicaid. Hmm. Medicaid, this hugely popular program that now actually serves more people in this country than Medicare. It's about 75 million Americans who receive health care through Medicaid. Maybe that's grandma in the nursing home. It's people with disabilities who, re- who rely on uh, employment support and other kinds of services to allow them to live in the, in the mm-hmm. community. It's poor workers and, and low-wage workers. It's kids. It's pretty much, you know, every walk of life in this country represented in the Medicaid program. And what we are watching Trump continue to do is to try to dismantle this popular, successful, effective program basically through every power he, he can try to figure out uh, in the White House. And, and a lot of the steps he's actually taking are are starting to look like they might be illegal. And I want to get into that with you. What are they doing? So, Bill... Medicaid vastly expanded under the Affordable Care Act. That's exactly right. right. That's exactly right. Medicaid expansion was a big part of the Affordable Care Act, and it was one of the really popular components Mm -hmm. of of that law. but what we've watched going all the way back to Speaker Paul Ryan, and I, I, uh, I should, I should say it's fun to say this for, uh, former, former Speaker, Speaker Paul, Paul Ryan. Ryan. It gives yeah. me great pleasure to get to say that. Um, it, his dreams back in college, he let us know, were uh, dismantling Medicaid. He actually, he, that was one of his sort of keg days dreams, right? It came out in in uh, in news when he was talking about his vision when he was Speaker. He was really questing after trying to dismantle Medicaid, and and President Trump jumped on that bandwagon as did Republicans throughout the health care fight. And so while the Affordable Care Act was was what got most of the attention in terms of ACA repeal efforts that Republicans were trying to move forward to take health care away from tens of millions of Americans, Medicaid was one of the, the core programs that was actually in the crosshairs during the health care fight. But we 
saw Americans stand up and say, no, I don't want to see health care cut. Eighty percent of Americans actually stood up and opposed uh, cuts to Medicaid. But what we've seen Trump do in the year since that fight really uh, ended in earnest, at least for now, um, is to try to dismantle Medicaid by a making it possible for states to take it away from unemployed and underemployed workers. That's his heartless so-called work requirements that we've been watching in in the states. And we can talk a little more about how those are playing out now that we're seeing them enforced in places like Arkansas. But what we watched just this past weekend, Bill, was a huge bombshell announcement out of this administration Mm -hmm. that they are now going to potentially launch yet another massive attack on Medicaid by block granting the program. And that's just code for ending Medicaid's promise to people who qualify for coverage. Now, uh, this is not my area of expertise, but I believe the difference is with block grants, it's just a block of money that goes to the state that the state can spend any way they want, correct? That's basically exactly right, Bill. So instead of sending money that is specified or directed to be used for Medicaid, right, and to keep the program going and to help people who qualify for Medicaid, the state could spend some of that money on Medicaid and spend the rest of it on whatever. That is potentially one of the risks. So it's a way of getting the program. It is, and it's it's also in addition to the the um, sort of slush fund aspect that you note know, that block right. grants carry with them as a risk. It's also just a massive backdoor way of cutting the the resources that are available for the program, and that's because block grants are basically a way of flat funding a program and then making it shrink over time. So I mean, this is a classic Republican dodge that they've tried to use over and over again. Uh, how can they uh, to, to gut programs when they can't get the actual you know knife job done by the Congress or whatever? So um, what do they have to do? I mean, to make it to, to to convert it to block grants to gut the program that way? Do they need an act of Congress or can they do it by executive order? So that's where things get interesting here. Much like the Trump policy of taking away Medicaid from people who can't find work or get Mm -hmm. enough hours at their job, that's the policy we saw them unveil this time last year, actually. And red states across the board started to raise their hands and say, yeah, that sounds good to me. I like this heartless idea. Uh, Legal advocates have actually been battling those cuts in the courts as we speak. This is yet another act of the Trump administration that legal advocates say is almost certainly unlawful and exceeds the authority that Trump has in the White House. It should require an act of Congress because legal advocates are saying it, it looks like it violates the... That's a question then. I mean, in the last, in the midterm elections, right, the winning issue for Democrats was health care. But the flip side of that coin is the losing issue for Republicans was health care. Didn't they learn anything? One would think that maybe they would have learned that the opposite of what the American people want should not be the agenda that they're championing if they plan to uh, keep their jobs. I'm talking about Republicans in Congress. And I think that that's part of why you've actually seen efforts to repeal the Affordable Care Act and to dismantle Medicaid, not just fail through legislation, but sort of become a little more back burner in in terms of what we've seen Republicans in Congress at least continue to champion. But this is where we've really seen Trump refine his 
his playbook in the two years that he's been in the White House. And what he's learned is that when he's uh, failed at getting his cruel agenda through Congress, that he he doesn't have to give up. He's 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 decided that his plan for programs like Medicaid is to go talk to folks in the administration and say, hey, how else might we cut this program that doesn't require Congress? And, you know, I'm, I'm down with breaking the law in the process. That's basically what we've seen him start to do as his playbook on health care. And this is just the latest shoe to drop in, well, in that story. Right. And this is a continuation of things that he's tried to do by executive order to undermine and weaken the Affordable Care Act. What is this? What is the health of the Affordable Care Act itself these days? I mean, we know that in terms of new signups or re ups, right? I mean, they took all the money away from from promoting that, advertising that, r- reminding people that now's the time. You know, you got to renew your 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 policy and whatever. Did everything they could to try to gut it. The Affordable Care Act still exists. Still the law of the land, despite what Trump would like to to see be the case. There's still people signed up. And it was the first administration we saw not wanting people to know about open enrollment, as you know, trying to hide that. We're actually going to watch Democrats in Congress now that they have the gavels. Um, uh, So what what we're seeing is that the Affordable Care Act is strong. The Affordable Care Act remains the law of the land. But Democrats in Congress, as are you, as am I, are really concerned with the administration's deliberate sabotage efforts over the course of the past year. And so now that Democrats actually have the gavels back in the House, we're actually going to watch them investigate the Trump administration's deliberate sabotage efforts to see what's been going on there. It's a chance for Democrats maybe to restore some of that funding and um, particularly where Donald Trump has made the cuts. Right? I think I that's guess. right. That's that's the eventual goal as well as bringing some accountability and some oversight that's sorely been lacking to bear. Well, one answer is um, we could all just go to Canada for operations. Uh <laughs> That's your plan, Bill. That's what Rand Paul has decided to do, right? He needs a hernia operation. And so uh, having gutted the American health care uh, you know, program as much as he can, right, he's going to go to Canada. Irony doesn't even do it justice. Alanis needs to add a whole next verse to that song after that one. <laughs> <laughs> But but Bill, I mean, we're we're joking here, but you know, it, it, it's it, yeah. I can't put too fine a point on the life and death consequences of this administration's health care repeal agenda, and Medicaid is front and center in that agenda, as this news from this past week really makes clear. We actually saw, just to remind your listeners, back during the health care debate in 2017, we had the Congressional Budget Office, a nonpartisan entity within uh, within Congress that that sort of evaluates proposals and puts numbers on things. So they were the ones telling us how many people were going to lose health insurance, for example, every time uh, Republicans came out with a new cruel proposal for for stripping it away from millions of Americans. Well, they came out with analysis back during that debate, finding that one version of the bill, the Senate version that that was dangerously close to to actually making it out of that chamber, it would have killed, literally killed 200 and 8,000 people uh, who would not have otherwise died by 2026. Mm. They call that excess preventable deaths. Literally, lives are on the line here when people lose the health insurance that allows them to stay healthy and get the medical care that they need. And that is what this administration has made abundantly clear. They're not done trying to see take effect. So really important for folks to be paying attention to this since it's really getting drowned out during the shutdown. Yeah, I mean, that's the consequences are that severe. 
Who was it? Alan Grayson, the former congressman who said the Republican plan for health care is die, right? Yeah. As I recall, and was slammed on the floor of the House for saying that, but that, no, that's, basically. Yeah, he got a lot of grief for it, but he was absolutely right. Yeah. And, you know, Republican architects of these repeal plans, they, they get really upset when people remind them of this, right? They, they say, oh, my God, the left is being so histrionic and, oh, they're screeching again about, about people dying. Well, sorry, guys, when you take health care away from people, that's what happens. And, and we're going to talk about it if you're going to continue to champion that as, as your agenda. On the flip side, Bill, we were talking about Medicaid expansion just a minute ago, a policy that we know isn't just right. popular. It, it also works. It, it expands health care to more people who need it. Uh, and, and what we know happens uh, from actually analysis from a, a colleague of mine at the Center for American Progress is that when you expand Medicaid, uh, the opposite of taking away health insurance, which kills people, you save lives. So actually analysis out of CAP found that if the 14 remaining non-expansion states, the states that still, for ideological reasons for the most part, have right not expanded Medicaid to larger populations in their states, we would save over 100,000 lives just in the coming decade. Those are the stakes that that Trump is playing politics with as he tries to dismantle Medicaid. Right. 14 states are left, right? That's right. Now, have some of those elected Democratic governors that, that may change? Uh, some of them have. And so I think we're actually going to watch uh, some Virginia, interesting... Virginia, for example, did. Ralph Northam was able to, I believe. Virginia yeah. did manage to expand Medicaid. Right. And, and we've seen hundreds of thousands of Virginians now receive health insurance as of this year who previously had not. Unfortunately, that uh, Virginia Medicaid expansion actually came with uh, a sort of a poison pill that is is weakening the expansion. That was that they actually they slipped in a Republican uh, uh, compromise, which was to make Medicaid only uh, available to people who could lo- uh, log a certain number of hours of work per week. So again, those those work reporting requirements, I'm putting that in quotes, um, that, that Trump wanted to see become the law of the land in states. So a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, but we are definitely seeing states that previously had not considered expansion uh, start to actually move forward those talks. Uh, we've talked mainly about health care. We don't have much time left, but I'm intrigued by the title of your program, Poverty to prosperity, because poverty is just something that nobody talks about anymore. I mean, there's poverty is a very serious problem in this country, particularly among kids. Correct. You're, I mean, you are exactly right, and I, I hate every time I'm able to say this sentence because I, I look forward to the day that it's no longer true. But children are our nation's poorest citizens in this country. And um, how many Americans living in poverty? So uh, the the share of Americans, and I actually I'm going to answer this question a little bit differently than okay. most people do. Rather than looking point in time at how many people are officially poor using government statistics that frankly don't even capture what it costs to live in this country, Bill, 43% of American households right now don't earn enough to afford food and housing and health care. And that is the kind of measure that we should be using wow. as we think wow. about people struggling to to make ends meet in this country. 43% uh, of the population of the wealthiest country on the planet cannot afford food and housing and health care basics that we all need to survive, Bill. Boy, that's pretty chilling. 
So it's not yeah. a them, it's an us. And it's something that I, I, I have to say I'm really excited, you know, start leaving, leaving off where we started this conversation, to see uh, presidential candidates throwing their hats in the ring, actually running on making sure that we have affordable housing uh, for, for each and every family in this country, that we have uh, uh, expanded, say, low-income tax credits like we're seeing from Sherrod mm-hmm. Brown to, mm-hmm. to ensure that child poverty is not something that, you, that the United States continues to live with as an albatross around its neck. Really exciting momentum uh, among folks who are, are starting to realize this is an issue we should all be talking about. Uh, yeah, that's uh, and that gets us back to the hopeful note that we started our conversation right. on, right, about at least this time we have uh, a democratically controlled House that can raise some of these issues and move some legislation uh, and maybe even prod the Senate to, uh, to go along. Great work that you're doing, Rebecca. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having uh, me, Bill. At the Center for American Progress, it's AmericanProgress.org, right, where they can catch up with you on a daily basis. Um, because you can't come in every day, but we love having you in. I'd do it if you asked. When we come back, Kate Martell handles the 1230, 1230 report for The Hill, and she joins us in studio to talk more about the news of the day. Give us a quick second, quick break. We'll be right back. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, come on in. Have a burger. Yeah, and some cold French fries. A hamburger. Yeah. Uh, a hamburger. <laughs> Donald Trump's way to spend the afternoon with the Clemson Tigers yesterday. Hello, everybody. It is the Bill Press Show on a Tuesday, January 15, coming to you live from Washington, D.C. And we're brought to you today by the International uh, United, rather, Steelworkers and their international president, the one and only Leo Girard, great fighter for the uh, working families of America. And the Steelworkers, the North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Check out their website at usw.org. Uh, if you want a uh, lots of morning newsletters out there where you can catch up on the news of the day, uh, only one in the middle of the day, right at 1230, uh, and it comes out from The Hill, the great newspaper, The Hill. Check out my column today at thehill.com. Uh, and the uh, editor, publisher, whatever, of the 1230 report on The Hill, Kate Martell. Good to see you. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Lively days, as always, right? Oh. You know, yes. You, you do a very good job. Thank uh, you. I appreciate that. Check it out. I read it every day and enjoy it every day. It's a it's sort of an irreverent look at the news <laughs> of the day, too. It's a lot of fun to write, and, and sometimes I'm surprised. Okay, so you put up some great through. videos, too, every day, right? you got to put up, if you haven't already, the video of that UCLA gymnast. That was crazy. Kaylin Ohashi is such an incredible gymnast. Unbelievable. Got that perfect 10 with her routine. I wish it could have gotten higher. <laughs> that last part of the routine where she does that split from way up above and then boom hits the crowd just every time she does it every time i see the video it just makes me i, just, I can feel the pain she's <laughs> superhuman she is like, yeah. i've never seen anything like i forgot her name now but caitlin you know. ohashi oh there you go i'm a Thank big you. college gymnastics fan actually that's my my fun fact <laughs> oh really so, see this is why we brought you in the only thing we're going to talk about now <laughs> absolutely <laughs> ucla is one of the best college gymnastics programs they have so many former olympians Madison Koshin, who is the 2016 team, the uh, the final five. They have Kyla Ross, who is a 2012 Olympic gymnast. They have one from Canada, an Olympic gymnast. So they have a really stacked team. And Caitlin Ohashi 
is incredible and one of five, I'd say, that are just star athletes. So who we can knew? talk about this all day. Wow. <laughs> who knew that I'm... we have the world's expert? <laughs> yeah. Peter, good booking. Yeah. I did this on purpose, of course. We talked about this. Right, Kate? We let's, talked about this ahead of let's time. Let's do right? a whole segment in 2020. Yes, absolutely, Peter. We discussed. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> so is UCLA the best in the country? Or if not, who has the? One of the best. LSU, Florida, um, Oklahoma's pretty good. Utah has another star gymnast from one of the national team members. So, But UCLA right now is one of the best. They just got a few new gymnasts that were on the national team that decided to retire from being elite and move to the NCAA. So. And when you were in college, did you compete? I did not. But I did do, I did do gymnastics when I was younger, but I, then I switched to skiing. So, Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm glad I mentioned this video, but... <laughs> Um, and you also talk about some of the uh, uh, big parties that uh, take place in Washington. We haven't seen a party uh, in Washington like we saw at the White House last night, <laughs> maybe ever before, certainly not for a long time. It was the uh, the uh, Clemson Tigers who beat <clears throat> Alabama. All right, we don't have to uh, talk week. about that. Okay, that's why they were invited. <laughs> Uh, at any rate, and uh, Dr. D- Dr. <laughs> Donald Trump was happy to welcome them uh, to the White House with an unusual spread, right, Peter? Burger King, Wendy's, and McDonald's. <laughs> we have Big Macs, we have Quarter Pounders with cheese, we have everything that I like that you like. <laughs> and I know no matter what we did, there's nothing you could have that's better than that, right? I can think of a few things that are better than bit. that, but anyhow. And even if we're going for fast food, it begins and ends at Taco Bell and Chick-fil-A, but that's just my own editorial <laughs> <laughs> opinion there. <laughs> no, it begins and ends at Five Guys's. That's my editorial But opinion. But again, I, I have to that. point out, Five Guys, five guys is, is not, not fast really food. fast food. It's You're not right. fast food. It's true. I, I read this tweet earlier. I'm going to read it again because it is impossibly still up. He has not deleted it. Donald but Trump this tweeted. This morning, just to... Just to Maybe half an hour ago. Great being with our national champion Clemson Tigers last night at the White House. Because of the shutdown, I served them massive amounts of fast food, parentheses, I paid. Over 1,000 hamburgers. Burgers. H-A-M-B-E-R-D-E-R-S. Which, by the way, he got 300 burgers, not 1,000. They said they announced oh. last night we got 300 burgers, not a thousand hamburgers. Uh, he says within one hour it was all gone. Great guys and big eaters. <laughs> <laughs> he also said that why he got all the food is because there was some like these are big people who big are, guys, big athletes, mm-hmm. right? And uh, he said that some of the furloughed workers were worked in his residence, so that was um, part of the reason that they brought in fast food. And some of the uh, he he said there was an option, right, Peter? About he could have just had uh, the first lady make salads for them. Right. Uh, th- this has gotten a lot, co- a lot of comment, too, if we can find that clip where he talks about. Um, if, if you find it, let me know. <laughs> I'm just looking for it because I, I pulled yeah. so much audio know, from the Clemson thing. I'm no, just no, no, trying to no, find that one specific there, clip, they, so they, forgive me. There were so many there. <laughs> oh, here we go. Here, here yeah, it is. Here's okay. what I was looking yeah. for. I had a choice. That's we it. have no food for you because we have a shutdown. Or do we give you some little quick salads? That the first lady will make along with, oh, yeah. along with the second lady, they'll make some salads. And I said, you guys aren't into salads. Oh, this is great. This is the role of the first lady of the United States, right, as he sees it, right? Go in the kitchen and make salads for these guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then get the second lady involved. Yeah, that's- <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, I'm sure that's what they really want to do is go make salads.
But what we were trying to figure out earlier is, I mean, let's face it, the shelf time for fast food, particularly for French fries, yes, is not a long time. I'd say five to ten minutes. I, I t- uh, okay. discussed this in my newsletter, and I thought about it hard, long and hard, and I think you have five to ten minutes on the French fries, no longer on Big Macs. And these, th- this fast food spread was on that table in the state dining room for at least an hour, maybe two hours. Because, he, you know, he talked to reporters. It was all out. And he talked to reporters before the team even showed up. And it was all laid out ahead of time. Plus, as you pointed out, Peter, the French fries were divided up into little presidential cups. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. So Those French fries had been out of the heat for at least an hour and a half. McDonald's French fries deserve better than that. <laughs> yeah. And, like, look, McDonald's French fries, very good French fries. They're good French fries. When they're hot. Yeah. When they're cold, no thank you. No thank you. Uh, no. So it was kind of a- Terrifying. And That's what the most infuriating like. story of the day. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> uh, uh, and overall, all necessitated by the fact, hello, which Donald Trump did not acknowledge, really, is that the government is shut down. So they had to do this because the people who prepare what is usually great food at these White House soirees are on furlough. And uh, it doesn't look, Kate, like from what we saw yesterday in his comments in New Orleans, that there's any end in sight. doesn't. And, Bill, he's in so deep that at this point it seems difficult to see how he's going to backtrack out of this. Um, so there's an interesting comment yesterday that Cory Gardner on the Hill was saying what he finds interesting is there's no rebellion on the Democratic side right now, that we're starting to see a few Republicans break away, Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins. Yeah, four. Yes. And just to reopen the government, Democrats are unified. And that doesn't mean that that means that Democrats are not going to need to compromise in the way they, they have nothing to gain by compromising and giving the president more money for the wall. Um, and the president is in so deep that I really just don't see how this is going to how we're going to end the shutdown. Um, and I'm always the one that thinks the shutdown's not going to happen or if it happens, it's only going to happen for 10 hours. Right, right. I am at a loss at now to think how is it, how is how are they going to get out of this? We're already in 25 days. Um, I think the way that we end up doing is public outcry over TSA lines and even smaller stories. I'm sure you've been around local businesses on Capitol Hill and near oh, federal yeah. Yeah. agencies that even these businesses are struggling. And it's just on so many different levels that I think that it's going to be that public outcry. Um, but Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has not budged at all. And I, I think what it's going to take is more of these Republicans to move over and say, look, we need to pass a clean bill without border wall funding to reopen the government. So why didn't he do a, as he threatened for two or three days and a national declare a national emergency? So I, what I think- happened? Do we know the backstory there? Because he, it looked like he. Let me back up. Last Thursday, I was down at the Congress at a reception. M- many members of Congress there, and I spoke to whom I, a lot of them I spoke to, and they had been informed that the next day, Friday, get ready because it's coming. He's going to sign the emergency declaration. Uh, these were Democratic members, Progressive Caucus, and they were all working on how they were going to respond. They had been informed to get ready because tomorrow this is going to happen. And then yesterday he just said, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not thinking about that anymore. Something happened over the weekend. Absolutely. What? 
Um, so uh, unclear on the specific details, but I think the legal challenges are what is a big issue for the president. And um, as far as we, we know that as soon as he declares national emergency, it's going to go through the courts. It's going to go to the Supreme Court. And he could lose. Probably. Absolutely. I think he would lose. But. And it's a time sensitive issue. And the longer the president waits, the wor- the less the chances are that it will stand up in court saying it's an actual national emergency. You can't say that a month in. You can't say that after trying political maneuvering and then later on. So I think his window has kind of closed on that. Um, I did find Senator Lindsey Graham's idea interesting from the perspective of if Republicans really want this wall built. Lindsey, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina said, why don't we reopen the government, negotiate for three weeks and then declare a national emergency? Um, and in the interest of negotiations, that is an interesting tactic. But from the the perspective, like you were saying, of national emergency, you can't pull that off. Well, first of all, it's timing. an interesting tactic. And Donald Trump rejected it immediately, even though it was coming from his buddy, right, Lindsey Graham. Um, and it's very close to what the Democrats propose, which is let's reopen the government. And then they said 30 days. We'll reopen DHS, Department of Homeland Security, Homeland Security for only 30 days and and negotiate border security or just d- during that time. And th- they didn't say at the end of 30 days if we don't know. I mean, there was that difference. But relatively, it's the same approach that Democrats have voted for and the Republicans supported before the end of the year until Donald Trump changed his mind. So, and it would... The optics would be a a lot better for these furloughed workers. I think the quote that just still sticks with me is Trump has repeatedly said that he thinks that these furloughed workers think it's more important to build the wall than to get their own paychecks. Name one. is a pretty out of touch Name one. Comment. I keep coming back. We we issued an invitation early on the show if you're a federal. Peter, how many federal employees have we heard from? I forgot to ask, right? Oh. Oh, got it. (laughs) Crickets. Mm. Yeah, sorry, but we got nothing. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. I'm still waiting. I'd love to see it on the news or at the White House or whatever. Let, let, let the president give the name of, like those people at the White House who work at the White House, weren't there yesterday, couldn't prepare food for the Clemson Tigers. Name one of them who has told the president, you're doing the right thing and I'm glad to give up my paycheck as long as it takes. Mr. President, I, I, they can't do it because I, I don't believe any one of the 800,000 federal employees supports it. So the latest, what I've heard, uh, approach to the White House is that they're going to count on turning some Democrats away from Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, particularly Democrats in the House, uh, to support Donald Trump. I mean, they are out of their minds. Yeah, Why, and there's no evidence. The Democrats are totally united on this, and and I, which I think is the right approach. Reopen the government, and then we'll continue to talk about border border security, which you know for Donald Trump means the wall. Um, why would they budge from that? Why are they Why are they going to flip and and give money for Donald Trump's wall? And even if one or two of them did, how many would it take? Right, it would take. How are they going to get? Yeah. yeah, I don't. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the chances of that happening are so slim. The chances of Republic or of Democrats pulling in enough votes to get sixty-seven to override, I think, are a little higher. But Mitch McConnell is not having that yet. Though I could see the pressure building. 
for McConnell. You, you can. Uh, I'm waiting for more than those four senators to speak up. I, I, um, so far, no sign of any others. We were talking earlier about Mitt Romney, whom everybody thought might be more of an independent voice. So far, he's just been going right along with the Trump plan. Um, and um, and un, uh, unless that built that that kind of pressure builds up on McConnell, which McConnell's office has quoted this morning as saying they're not getting any pressure. Although everybody supports them. I, I, w- I will point out, too, that McConnell has bigger pressures even than reopening the government, that if he goes against the president, he's going to have two years of hell. Um, and I think that that's something that is going through his head, that how are they going to work with the White House if the White House is going to be an all-out battle between Senate Republicans? Um, we saw some blow-ups over the past few months, and we're starting to see some cracks form between congressional Republicans and the White House. And I think that McConnell is thinking, how are they going to agree to anything if this is the precedent? So, so I guess what we're saying is when people said, and I, I never believed it initially, that this shutdown could last weeks and maybe even months, looks like it really could. Yeah. Now, and I'm the last one that would have ever predicted that. I've yeah I I know I've never think that these shutdowns will go on but 25 days I really don't even see anything that's going to end it soon except uh, potential pressures. And I pressures. think one sign of that is uh, Peter. Let's go back to New Orleans yesterday. We're addressing the Farm Bureau, whatever it is, uh, down New Orleans. The president um, said about would he ever give up? He probably back down. Would he ever back down? When it comes to keeping the American people safe. I will never, ever back down. I didn't need this fight. This is a rough fight. There it is. Never, ever back down. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> even though that's a New York Times points out on the, on the uh, front page today, immigra- illegal immigration at the southern border is near a 50-year low. So what crisis? Um, his crisis, the one he's, the one he's manufactured. Yeah. Um, and more families are crossing. It's how about this? Did you ever think... In your lifetime, you would ever hear a president of the United States who would feel compelled to uh, address the American people, speaking to the to the to the media, to make sure he wants everybody to understand that he is not a Russian spy. I never worked for Russia. Not only did I never work for Russia, I think it's a disgrace that you even asked that question because it's a whole big fat hoax. Of course, he's responding to the New York Times report on Saturday that the FBI was so concerned for a whole variety of reasons uh, that up to and including the firing of James Comey and his comments immediately afterward that they suspect that he might actually have been a Russian agent, a foreign agent for Russia on the Russian government's payroll. And the story that obviously bothered him so much that he had... After not denying it Saturday night on Fox News, he had to come out yesterday with that statement. I never worked for Russia. Unbelievable. That's one of those moments where you say, how do we get here? I, yeah. I wrote in my newsletter yesterday, if it's like if you woke up a, from a coma for four yes. years, yeah. you wake up. And this is one of those quotes. You're like, how did we get here? The president feels compelled to explain that he never worked for the Russian government. After several stories that warranted that type of response, um, obviously with. Um, covering up the, what he discussed in his face-to-face meetings with Putin, even taking the transcripts from the interpreter and telling the interpreter not to discuss 
with any senior administration officials. This is just, I think, one of these startling moments in the administration, thinking that it's an all-out battle now, um, especially with Democrats taking House control. This is, the shutdown is just such a, a minor part of what's go- what's to come. This is this new era of this divided government, and the Russia investigation is building. Special Counsel Robert Mueller appears to be um, finishing up his report, and if this Russia investigation has taken, I think, more turns and has gone longer than the president would have liked. And I think it'll be fascinating to see, assuming we do see the report, mm-hmm. um, what comes out of this. But I think it's really hard to come back polling wise for the president. Kate Martell, our guest, she is the author of the uh, publisher of the 1230 report for The Hill at thehill.com. So today, a uh, big day on Capitol Hill. William Barr, the president's nominee to be attorney general, uh, his confirmation hearings begin today. He has released his opening statement ahead of time. Jonathan Carl from ABC News pointed out the most significant um, part of that opening statement on a question he's bound to be asked about by uh, Democratic, particularly Democratic senators. Uh, Here's uh, John Carl. Barr in the past has been quite critical of the Mueller investigation, but Barr has released the opening statement that he intends to give to the committee in which he vows that he will not interfere with the Mueller investigation, saying, quote, it's vitally important that the special counsel be allowed to complete his investigation. And he also says that it's important that both Congress and the public be informed of the results of that investigation. So two things. One, that he will not get in the way of Robert Mueller, let him continue and complete his work. And two, that when the report comes out, it will go to Congress and it will be made public. Can we believe him? Well, um, my colleague at The Hill, Niall Stanage, was talking to the president's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, the other day. And Giuliani says that he believes that the administration should be able to go through and edit that report after, which I think is a startling statement that the legality, it is the executive branch that is doing the probe, but the no, conflicts of interest there are incredible. No, that's not the I, I read that, but uh, Niles report. Yeah, that's not the way it works, right? When the judge, if you will, issues his ruling, right? The, <laughs> uh, the defendant does not have a chance to uh, edit the re- judge's r- ruling before it becomes public, right? No. Uh, but I, I cannot imagine how uh, – I'm not saying William Barr is lying to the American people, but I can't imagine how he would even be nominated by Donald Trump unless he had promised ahead of time. You know what your job there is. You know what your job is. Yeah, your job is to undermine any way you can Robert, the work of Robert Mueller. And whatever he f- comes up with, hide it. You know, keep it, <laughs> send yeah. it to me at the White House, but don't let anybody else see it. Yeah, that was absolutely, that had to be a discussion when he was picking his nominee. Yeah, I mean, I mean, because that's Trump's obsession with Robert Mueller, right? Yesterday he called the, he called the FBI dirty cops, actually. It's a little, Peter, wouldn't you say a little mafia language there? He loves it, man. He loves that stuff. It's, you know, it's anybody but himself. Rough the Queens, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Anybody but himself, right? Even though he sat there on camera and said, I'll take that mantle. I'll take that title. It's If you want to blame me for it, fine. It's the Trump shutdown. I mean, he said that in front of everybody. Right. But he's still finding ways to blame other people. Yeah. And here on this, so it'll be interesting to see. I'm sure they're going to press Robert, I mean, William Barr today on, on, on his statement just to 
uh, get them as much on the record uh, as as they can uh, on on the work of uh, of Robert Mueller. And the other big thing that's going to happen today, uh, Kate, is we're told uh, that Kirsten Gillibrand is going to appear on Stephen Colbert tonight. And guess what? <laughs> What could possibly come up? What are we possibly talking about? Uh, so Julian Castro <laughs> makes his announcement uh, uh, in his hometown of San Antonio, where he was mayor, uh, and a good mayor. Elizabeth Warren makes hers on a videotape, right? And Kirsten Gillibrand on Stephen Colbert. Joining John Delaney. Let's not forget John Delaney, who's already out there. <laughs> That's so right. That, that will be basically four announced candidates. And it's January of 2019. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's Tulsi so Gabbard. I forgot <laughs> Tulsi Gabbard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're never, we, we couldn't figure out how she made that announcement. We couldn't find any written statement or any video, but somehow she told people, I guess, she was going to run. Yeah. Absolutely. Kirsten Gillibrand, a serious candidate? She is, but, I mean, we're facing dozens of candidates that she could, she could break through, um, but... I, I mean, I think at this point, too, there any little misstep that I think Democrats are figuring out that if they want any chance of running and they're not Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, the top tiers, they have to announce early. They have to have no missteps. And hopefully that they make it into Democratic Party has said at least 12 debates, maybe more during the primary. And they're not gonna be able to fit 30 candidates on stage. So candidates like Senator Gillibrand announce early and hope that they can break through early. Yeah, you know, by the end of the month, I think you'll see. We, I think you'll see at least Cory Booker, uh, Kamala Harris, um, Amy Klobuchar, maybe Sherrod Brown too. So it's going to be a crowded field. Kate keeps you busy. Thanks so much for coming in. Check out this the Hill, thehill.com. The Bill Press Show.